Welcome to this episode of the Essential Church Podcast, an ongoing conversation about some of the most important issues facing the local church today. I'm your host, Andrew Arndt, and today, a very special interview, Pastor Brady and I sit down with a new friend of ours, Dr. Russell Moore, who was the head of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission with the Southern Baptist Convention for many years before leaving it over some of the turmoil of the last several years in the Southern Baptist Convention. He wrote a book called Losing Our Religion, an Altar Call for Evangelical America. And the book tells the story of his departure from the SBC, but he also uses it as kind of a touchstone for talking about some of the issues that we're dealing with in American evangelicalism at large. And this really is an altar call. One of the things that we talk about with him is the difference between nostalgia, kind of hearkening back to some bygone era where everything was amazing, and genuine biblical repentance. And he has a lot to say about what's happening in American evangelicalism and how can we can recapture faithfulness to Jesus. I loved this conversation. We think you're going to be very helped by it. Do be sure to grab the book as soon as possible. And without further commentary from me, here's to the interview. It's so good to have with us today Dr. Russell Moore. He is uh, someone that I've admired from a distance for quite a long time. I've read your books. I read your columns that you write. He's currently uh, editor-in-chief of Christianity Today, but before that he served uh, as a Southern Baptist uh, Convention Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. Is that their long name for that, I think? And uh, he served in that role for many, many years. And uh, just recently wrote a book that I picked up. uh, I saw you posted on it, and I, I bought it and read it slowly. There are books that you read Mm. quickly because they're fast-moving, but I found your book to be a a good read, but a slow read, because I really wanted to catch what you're saying. You're very thoughtful in in, in the way you lay out, I felt, a compelling argument for really a a restoration of the American evangelical mind. Mm. And the the title of the book is Losing Our Religion, an Altar Call for Evangelical America by Russell Moore. I want to recommend all of you to pick up a copy and read it, but we're honored to have you today. You're you're with us from Nashville, Tennessee, where you've lived about a dozen years now. And tell us about what you're up to today. What is, uh, what's keeping you busy right now? Uh, well, there's a lot keeping me busy being editor-in-chief of Christianity Today and speaking and writing, and then with five sons, that uh, <laughs> that, that always keeps me busy. And what are the ages of your boys now? Uh, I have two 22-year-olds, and then an 18-year-old, a 17-year-old, and an 11-year-old. Oh, my God. So I want to know uh, the cost of automobile insurance in your house right now. <laughs> it, is be in, a... it is it is mm-hmm. less than the grocery bill. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I can imagine. I remember when I was that age, I ate like seven meals a day, and my parents, the, yeah, automobile insurance for boys in that age group is unbelievable. We're, we're glad you're here today. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us, kind of give us a quick history, when you you were part of the Southern Baptist Convention. You really were the, one of the, the leading voices, uh, helping people see things clearly. Uh, your comments came under fire. You were certainly the center of a of a, uh, a landmine that went off back in 2016. But kind of walk us through that season of your life. And, and what I really want the listeners to hear today is the price that you paid mm. for being a prophetic voice. Everyone... Uh, wants to be that prophetic voice, but very few people are willing to pay that price, and you paid a price for it. Can you kind of let us in on that? 
Well, I don't know that I've paid any uh, any worse price than anybody else does. There are a lot of people uh, who have gone through similar uh, situations. We had uh, kind of a confluence of events in you know the the era after uh, 2016. Uh, and so you had the divisive political situation uh, in the country. Mm-hmm. You also had uh, racial justice questions uh, and a backlash uh, to that happening in every uh, institution in the country. And then there were questions of uh, sexual abuse and particularly church sexual abuse. And so I was working on, on those things. Most people... Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the vast majority of Southern Baptists were encouraging and affirming. Uh, my board was fantastic, and it is fantastic still. Mm-hmm. But there, there was a small group of people um, who made sure that every minute of the day had to be occupied with them <laughs> rather than <laughs> rather what it, with what it was that God had called me to do and so I decided uh, I decided at very very reluctantly uh, to move into a different phase of ministry uh, it took me about a year and a half to make that decision well it's not an easy decision one of the most sobering and I thought somewhat sad stories that you told at the beginning of the book is the conversation your wife had with you after a particularly, uh, I think, really traumatizing meeting for you and her with some of the leadership. Hmm. Tell us what she said to you and, and what that did for you when you when you heard her say that she was no longer going to be a part of the Baptist Church, a, a denomination that I, I'm assuming she had been a part of her entire life. Is that right? And Yeah, both of us our entire lives, yeah. Wow. What, what did that mean to you? when she, I've had, My wife and I have had similar conversations, and it was sobering. And what did that do to you in, in that moment? Hmm. Well, it was sobering for me because we had never had a conversation like that before. She has never given an ultimatum about anything. <laughs> and uh, But what had happened was my then 15-year-old son had gone to her and said, Hey, um, I can handle it, but just level with me. Has dad like <laughs> had an affair or something? Uh, oh. with this uh, going on. And so I went to him and said, I want you to come to the meeting where they're going to read out their grievances against me so that there's nothing, you know there's nothing that's being hidden from you. Hmm. Uh, and so he did. He came with us. And, and afterward, his response was to say, why do we want to be a part of this? Hmm. Uh, which really hit me hard, but not as hard as when my wife said, uh, you know, you can do what you want, but wow. if you're a Southern Baptist by summer, you'll be in an interfaith marriage. Wow. Mm. And because she she just doesn't give uh, ultimatums at yeah. all, I really took that mm. seriously. Yeah. But you know, in in, in most of uh, most cases, in any sort of ministry or or leadership uh, uh, role, uh, the family is hit much harder. Right. than the the person who's going through it mm. because um, you know they, they really are to some degree powerless yeah. in the, the situation and so I think it it often hits the family harder Russell I loved your book so much I uh, thanks for writing it by the way I Thank one you. of the things I thought about it as soon as I finished was I thought man he is hard hitting here but he's not mean-spirited 
and um, you're not being you're not being unnecessarily aggressive towards anybody. You're just trying to tell the truth, and it's not just about your denomination, but it's about all of American evangelicalism, which I don't think anybody would disagree with the notion that I we're in a crisis. American evangelicalism is in trouble. I, I wonder if you could just talk for a couple minutes about what are the sources of that trouble? Like, how did we get to this point where there's such a vast gap between what we say we believe and what we're actually doing? How did we get here? Well, I think uh, one way that we got here was the shadow side of one of our strengths. Hmm. If you think about what evangelical Christianity uh, is, there's an entrepreneurial uh, spirit to evangelicalism, which has had massively good implications for the advancement of the kingdom. That's Mm -hmm. the reason that mission boards were established and Bible translation societies were established and orphanages and hospitals, and that's how the frontier was evangelized. Nobody had to go fill out a form uh, in order to go and and start preaching and and start a church. But the the other side of that entrepreneurial spirit Mm -hmm. is a kind of uh, marketing that ultimately uh, leaves everybody at the mercy of whatever whims are are flying through at the moment. Hmm. And I think that was a big part of it. The other part of it, I think, uh, was a uh, success that we took for granted hmm. and we assumed uh, we assumed was coming from a different source of power than it was. And so we kept pursuing the wrong kind of power and pursued it right into this crisis we're in right now. Are you talking about social power and political power? Or what yeah. kind of power are you talking about? Yeah, so social power, political power, um, and, and that can be true at the national level. It can also be true at the, at the local level. If um, if what the what the church is really seeking to do is to maintain its mm. uh, force mm. uh, rather than its witness and its testimony, mm. and I think that that is a, a critical part of that. So that when you add in all of that, mm. and you add this sort of moment that we're in right now, where the limbic system is lit up. Hmm. Uh, and you have a, a loss of meaning and purpose in a lot of people's lives, including within the church. Hmm. And uh, there's a sense in which fear and anger, not created by social media, but amplified a lot by social media, uh, fear and anger and anxiety uh, become sources of dopamine hits, right. but they also become this uh, jolt of what feels a little bit like life to people. Mm. And so if you're, if you're living a life that you think is uh, meaningless and purposeless and boring, and you have that hit of, of, uh, of a sense that everything is about to fall apart and people are coming to get you, and your neighbors hate you and want to see you destroyed, then that that just leads us right into the place where we are right like now. Like having a victim mentality and jumping into the culture war can provide you with a kind of perverse sense of meaning in your life. Well, it's it's the worst of both worlds because what we ended up with is we assumed ourselves to be an entitled majority yeah. and an embattled minority at the, at same, the same time. time. 
Yep. And so that, that brought all the worst aspects of mm-hmm. being uh, an entitled majority, which is to say, we're what the real America is, and, and we, need to, we need to channel that. But then also this sense of, of constantly being under siege. Jeez. And in reality, I mean, what, what we're living in, every era yeah. is filled with darkness, uh, and hiding from the face of God that manifests itself in different ways in different eras, but it's always there. Hmm. Uh, and every era is filled with the grace of God yeah. and the light that shines in darkness. And so when we lose that sense, yep. then then we start to become frantic. Hmm. Uh, Dr. Russell Moore is with us today. The, his book is called Losing Our Religion, an altar call for evangelical America. I highly recommend it. Um, our primary audience is senior pastors, leaders of churches, nonprofits, and I hear this all over the country, and I'd love for you to speak to this. Uh, they say, Pastor Brady, uh, we want to speak to social issues. Mm. We want to be a voice in the wilderness. We want to have access to the public square. Where is the balance between preaching the gospel and bringing awareness of social issues? How do those mm. two things marry themselves in our pulpits? And I would, you, meant, you talk about this in the book, and you give a, several brilliant explanations about how to strike the balance of being concerned about the culture and yet proclaiming the good news of the gospel with grace and repentance and forgiveness. Um, can you speak to that? What would you say to pastors right now around the country of how to strike a biblical balance? Well, what you're trying to do is to see that the Holy Spirit, through the, the Word of God, uh, conforms people to Christ, which means shaping and forming their minds, their hearts, their imaginations, and their consciences. Mm-hmm. And so that's a long-term uh, process. And so often uh, what you have to do, I mean, I'll often have pastors who will say, um, how do I get through 2024? <laughs> I would love to hear the answer to that question. <laughs> and, and who knows what else? Uh and what I'll always say is, uh, I don't know, but your job right now is to get through 2034, because yeah. what we're dealing with at the moment is kind of light from distant stars. Uh, mm. These oh. are decisions that were made uh, long ago and tendencies that were cultivated long ago and are now bearing fruit. Uh, and there are all kinds of things like that that are being yep. prepared to happen. And so that means that means getting priorities straight, seeking mm-hmm. first the, the kingdom of God, and seeing to it that what we're dealing with is not just the what, uh, but the how. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there are going to be some things that when it comes, and we know how to do this. We do this with personal morality all the time. There are some things that in Scripture is really clear. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really clear. If somebody comes uh, to me and says, I'm thinking about leaving my wife uh, for for this uh, woman that I met on the internet, uh, I'm not going to pray about that. Right. Uh, I may pray for right. him, but I'm not going to pray about whether that's right or wrong. Right. I'm, I'm going to be able to say, that's wrong. That's right. There are going to be other things where there are uh, principles that are at work but I don't have the authority to apply them uh, in, in every situation. So, for instance, raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. 
That's what we have to say. Hmm. But we don't have the authority to come in and say that means that your child goes to this school or to this co-op hmm. or to this. Uh, the, the, one does not have the authority to do that. And then there are going to be other things where uh, we don't speak to them at, at all because they're issues of, of conscience, Romans 14 hmm. sorts of matters. Now, it's not always easy to know where something fits in that uh, in that trajectory, uh, which is why it takes wisdom and discernment. But I think that same pattern applies to the way that we deal with social issues. There are going to be some mm. things that are really clear and we have to speak to mm-hmm. clearly, other things where we have to deal with principles, and then other things we don't deal with at all. And we certainly never do that in a way that becomes captive to right. uh, anybody's uh, ideological uh, partisan uh, agenda. Yeah. And uh, so that means cultivating first a sense in our people that uh, if if your political movement or cultural movement or whatever it is, if you agree with them 100% of the time, uh, <laughs> then they're either uh, inspired by the Holy yes, Spirit yes. Uh, <laughs> or... You have you have sort of outsourced your yeah. your mind to to somebody else, hmm. and so the what, but also the how that you, we can't achieve good by doing evil. Uh, we yeah. have to follow in the way of Jesus, and so those are the things that I think are are most important. And what you're really the most important things that you're dealing with are not the things that people are debating on Facebook hmm. right now. They're, they're the things that people aren't even thinking about at all. And what we want to do is to cultivate the kind of intuition, the kind of biblical intuition that even before maybe people know exactly how to think it through, they think, wait, hmm. seems like I've seen this before hmm. yep. because they're living in the story of Scripture. And I, I think that's what's important. We're preaching through the book of First Kings right now at our congregations, and um, it is striking to me how similar the uh, American culture is to the culture in First Kings, where a group of people begin to uh, really embrace small compromises that led to cataclysmic results yep. for the nation. Yep. And we're living yeah. in the age of compromise now, where it's, uh, the result is cataclysmic chaos in our country. And so hmm. people that refuse to learn from history are doomed to repeat it, right? Hmm. Can can yeah. you speak to this, uh, Dr. Moore? Um, how, how should the American Christian voter pick the candidate they should vote for? Hmm. Well, I think... I think you do this the way that you would do a job interview if you're hiring someone. Uh, So what you're going to be looking for is to say, is this somebody who has a certain level of competency? Uh, Does this someone who has the, the temperament and the experience and the skills to be able to have the nuclear codes, <laughs> if it's president, right. if it's if it's can other they govern? Offices, yes, whatever that is, uh, and then somebody who has the character, yes. uh, to be able to endure um, uh, whatever sorts of, of things uh, come up. Now there are just like in a job interview, there are going to be situations where you get it wrong mm-hmm. because you you don't know what's 
you can't look into the future and you don't know what's in somebody's heart. Somebody can trick you and deceive you. They may seem to be a person of character and competency, and they turn out not to be. But that's a very different thing than if the person comes in and is screaming at the other staff members and sexually harasses someone on the way in the door and commits arson. Then you know this is somebody who's lacking the, the character to serve in that role. So I think we treat it like that because that's what it is, uh, Romans 13. It's the delegation yes. of, um, of public justice to an individual mm. and, and, to, uh, and to a group of individuals. And so that's, that's how I see it. Do they have the competence? Do they have the character? That's what we're asking. And don't make it yeah. too much more complicated than that because we do get right. ourselves into lots of little conundrums and contradictions when we, when we start playing games. And I love your distinction there, Romans 13, of delegating the power. In other words, they should be a representative voice of the moral fabric of the community that they represent. In other words, we should pick people who have moral qualifications. Uh, I know the American Constitution does not require our elected politicians to be Christians, but I I do think the Founding Fathers assumed that we would pick people with a high moral fabric. Uh, or at least some level of moral fabric. Can you speak to that, uh, to the people that are listening that are wrestling right now between the lesser of two evils? I've heard that more often than not. Uh, Pastor Brady, I, I, it seems like we're stuck with picking between the lesser of two evils. And my response back to them has been, with well, the lesser of two evils is still evil. Let's, yeah. let's get to the point where we don't have to choose between good and evil. Let's mm. choose between good and better. Mm. And yeah. can you speak to that just for a moment? Well, I think that uh, you know, Hannah Arendt uh, said uh, uh, right after World War II that the problem with lesser of two evils uh, thinking is that people lose their ability to tell what evil is at all. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that is certainly the case when you're in this kind of tribalized uh, environment where what you have to do is to find a team and to get on that uh, team and then to justify whatever's happening on that team. You, you lose your sense of, of what, is, uh, what is there. But beyond that, I think there has to be, uh, you know, I think that sometimes there's this sense in America that every election is either going to be exuberant final victory or complete cataclysmic defeat. And that's not the way the system uh, works here. Uh, So so if you have people who are expecting the first, then they become utopian and Mm. they get really disappointed quickly. Uh, If they think the second, then they get... uh, they get in this crouch where they think everyone's – they become paranoid. Uh, but really the way the system works is that you would have – founders uh, thought that you would not only have public officials who had a level of character, uh, but also that you would have a population uh, that has a level of character. It's the only way it works. I mean the norms and the institutions are only as good – uh, as as the the people there, mm. so you can you can have the best vacation Bible school curriculum in the world, mm. but if the church members want to sacrifice goats to Satan, it, it's not going to help. Mm, right. And you can have the best sort of constitutional government and system, but if the people don't have an understanding of the difference between yep. virtue mm. and and cruelty, then then you don't. 
Well, it, the, it doesn't work. Yeah, the famous French philosopher, sociologist de Tocqueville, he said that the American democracy would work as long as the people upheld its moral fabric. In other mm. words, he said everything is, is going to rise and fall in America based on the moral fabric of its leaders, and it's up to the public to choose those moral leaders. So speak to that for a moment. And then I would also like for you to, to uh, in some of our closing comments, what does revival look like? Uh, what 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 needs to happen in the American church for revival to happen, and what should it look like when it does happen? Well, I I have been hesitant to use the word revival for a long time, hmm. for the same reason I think I was hesitant to teach out of the Book of Nehemiah uh, for a long time, and I spent a lot of time in Nehemiah, and I thought, oh, there is so much richness here, and it is the the book of the Bible that I have been in the least. And I thought, why is that the case? And I realized it was because every time uh, in my formative years that Nehemiah was ever preached, it was because of a building program. Right, and yeah. that's what it was. Uh, that's what it was really uh, about. And revival uh, often is that way too. the The word can sometimes just mean, uh, well, something's going to happen, and <laughs> turn this all right. around. Uh, or it's this. Uh, it's this sense of recovering some golden age, like nostalgia. So if we could just get back mm. to, and and the golden age is going to differ. Right. Uh, from time to time, depending on what a person. Well, we're very good at creating a fabricated memory of the golden age to justify what we hope revival will look like in the future. I mean, that becomes uh, an interesting play. Yeah, and yeah. and what uh, what one sociologist said is, you know, people who are uh, longing for when things were good mm. when they were nineteen. Uh, think that they're remembering the world and they're actually remembering what it's like to be 19. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and so you could idealize all of those uh, times, but revival biblically is not is not that. It's not just taking some previous uh, thing and making it bigger hmm. uh, or, or more effective. As a matter of fact, that would be, A.W. Tozer uh, uh, wrote that that would be Kind of, um, he didn't use this word, but kind of a zombification. Yeah. Of uh, you know, you're you're not resurrecting anything if all you're doing is uh, creating a zombie, which yeah. is mm. dead. Yeah. Body that's walking, and so it revival biblically means a tearing down of some stuff. Yeah. Uh, in terms of repentance and providential circumstances that are coming in. Uh, and then a rebuilding of something. Mm. And the problem for us is there is always this time, whether you're talking about the revi- or person's spiritual renewal personally or the revival of the church, there's always this time when you've been called out into a new direction, mm. but you don't yet know what it is. And that's terrifying. Right. And 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 you think we don't know what to do and we don't know where to go without realizing that God actually intends that. Yeah. Because the first step to it is this sense of um, a, a loss of our own self dependence completely. Yes. 
But loss that's of scary. control. <laughs> totally. And isn't the Bible just kind of our guiding light here in this? I mean, I'm thinking about you talking about kings. When the revival in Second Kings comes around, I think about that great story of Josiah where, you know, his somebody in the palace comes to him and says, hey, by the way, uh, we found this book. Yeah. <laughs> and it's the Torah that they'd neglected forever. And the revival happens because they start reading the book again. They go, oh, gosh, we haven't done what God requires. And yep. so we don't need to know the future. You know, we don't need to have a sense of where this whole story is going or what the outcome is. We just have to get faithful to Jesus again, right? Yeah. And it's, it's um, you know, somebody might say, well, we're not in the situation of Josiah because you can go to Barnes and Noble and mm-hmm. there are, you know, fishermen study Bibles and mm-hmm. stamp collectors study Bibles and, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. there are more Bibles than you know what to do with. That's true. Mm-hmm. But that's different than having people who are shaped and formed yep. by the scripture. And yep. that's different than just knowing um, uh, there are some Bible passages I can go to hmm. when I'm in distress, or there are Bible passages I can go to in order to win an argument. Yeah. That's very different than actually inhabiting the, the word of God. Yeah. And sometimes I'll have people who will say, um, that they'll think that they're kind of failing in their Bible reading mm. because they they aren't understanding it very well. They're not applying it, uh, and I and I'll often say, "Don't worry about the application right now. Yeah, just just know that when the Holy Spirit speaks to you, uh, He's changing you. Yeah, and there there are all kinds of ways He's changing you that you don't even see." And so just keep being in in the Word of God and letting that happen. Dr. Russell Moore, your book, Losing Our Religion, an Altar Call for Evangelical America, is challenging. It was convicting. Uh, It was something that uh, really stirred me and awakened me, uh, and and it also helped me frame and shape some arguments and thoughts and some just some debates that I was having in my internal soul. You were were, uh, obviously a clear thinker. Uh, you're one of the most one of the brightest minds in evangelical America right now. I'm saying that sincerely. The book is called Losing Your Religion. I highly recommend it. And we're super honored that you would spend some time with us today on the Essential Church podcast. I hope you come back on with us sometime soon, and we'd love to have you as a regular guest. Uh, we just enjoy your tone, your tenor, your wisdom, uh, and it's an honor to have you today. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's an honor to be here, and anytime. It's fun, fun talking to you both.